Welcome to Unity of Fairfax, a positive path for spiritual living and spiritual center for education, practice, and service in Northern Virginia. We hope you find inspiration in this week's message. Thank you all for the gift of your presence today. There is nothing more valuable that we could ever give another human being than the gift of our time. So I appreciate the gift of your time today. Okay, I'm going to switch it up a little bit. Now, I need you to use uh, your faculty of imagination and imagine this is a cowboy hat. <laughs> now, I'm not really much of a rodeo kind of guy, but are there any rodeo fans in the house today? Oh, we got it. Okay, all right. This is going to work after all. I'm sweating this one. So the word rodeo is borrowed from the Spanish word that originally meant to round up. And as a matter of fact, if you change the accent a little bit and make it rodeo, then you round up all the prices to their absolute highest and you get rodeo drive. But that's an aside. We're not going there today. So rodeos, cowboys, bunkin' bucking broncos, bulls, clowns, broken bones, give us the expression, this ain't my first rodeo. Meaning that you probably have some experience with a certain situation, namely one that probably has some danger or some pitfalls to it. Some, some things you've really got to watch out for, but if, if this ain't your first rodeo, you can handle yourself. But here's something maybe you didn't know, that this idiom is generally traced back to that 1981 classic movie of American cinema, Mommy Dearest, in which the character of Joan Crawford actually uses the line. Now, just more minutia trivia, this movie received horrible reviews, and in the second Golden Raspberry Awards, known as the Razzies, it won the picture, uh, the award for worst picture of the year. So you may never really need to know that piece of data, but it might win you some big money in a trivia contest. So write that down. It's your first takeaway from today's talk. So about 10 years later, country singer Vern Gosden wrote a song called This Ain't My First Rodeo, and, and he heard the expression from a local carpenter. So it's reasonable to assume that the carpenter did not watch this very bad movie. So in all probability, the, the idiom had been circulating around and was used as a colloquialism before making it big in the movies in 1981. So let's, let's talk rodeos again. And I'm going to ditch the hat. So there you go. Uh, so, I don't know, my hair, it's a thing. So rodeos. So imagine a, a cowboy or, or a cowgirl on a bucking bronco. You've seen all this before, right? It's very unpredictable. People are yelling. Clowns are all around doing what they do. And no doubt, many people in the stands are thinking, you've got to be nuts to do that, right? And in fact, it kind of reminds me of how life has been for all of us for the last few years. I mean, has anybody felt like you've been holding on with one arm and like trying not to fall off and you never know where the bucking bronco is going to go and you're trying not to fall? Anybody? And you're surrounded by clowns? Yeah, yeah. So, of course, 
This leads me to scripture. <laughs> because, after all, as we read in Psalms 46, that there is a, a very present help in troubled times. And I want to refer to a particular logian that is a saying from the Gospel of Thomas. So, little backstory. You may remember this from a talk I gave a little bit ago, but I want to repeat. So, the Gospel of Thomas was found in Nag Hammadi in Egypt in 1945. Some Egyptian farmers were out looking for fertilizer, and what they found was scripture. Um, well, who knew? You know, you never know what you're going to find. And they found jars containing 13 leather-bound papyrus books, in, uh, including over 50 written works, including the Gospel of Thomas. Now, scholars and theologians have always known about the Gospel of Thomas because early church fathers wrote about it, but there just wasn't a, an existent copy until 1945. So, Thomas has 114 sayings, or logian is the Greek word, or short parables, and is referred to as a sayings gospel. So, there's no big narrative stories, no stories about the birth of Jesus, nothing about the passion and the trial and the crucifixion, just sayings. Um, and it's believed to be contemporaneous with, or even earlier than the four canonical gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So, many of the sayings found in Thomas are also found elsewhere, and some of them are unique to the Thomas material. So, one theory is that for the early Jesus material, uh, movement, it was easier to remember little short sayings, kind of like how we use sound bites today. Over time, the early Jesus movement grew, and the sayings were fleshed out to the long narrative stories we know. And by the way, we're having a great time in the metaphysical group studying the Gospel of Thomas. So you can join us anytime, any week, Sundays, 10 a.m., resuming on the 31st, taking a couple weeks off. And what's really fun about that is because of the newness of the Thomas material, there are no new thought guides or interpretations. So we're just making it up as we go. It's, it is authentic. It's fun. It's thought-provoking. So here's the saying that reminded me of rodeos. Um, Jesus said, those who seek should not stop seeking until they find. Might sound a little familiar. And when they find, they will be disturbed. And when they are disturbed, they will marvel and they will reign over all. Now, this may sound like something you read about in the Gospel of Luke, the saying that goes, And so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And for the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And I don't know about you, but in your prayer time or in conversation or in things you read on social media, We've been doing a lot of seeking and asking and knocking for the last few years. We've been affirming peace among nations, healings from the pandemic, freedom from wanton violence, transformations in our culture from division to unity, finding peace of mind and equanimity in ourselves. So you get the picture. There's a lot of asking and seeking and knocking. And both of these scriptures, one from Thomas on the screen and one from Luke, provide comfort by affirming that whatever is sought will actually be found. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. But Thomas adds a step that Luke does not, the one I call the mommy dearest rodeo step. 
when he says, they will find and they will be disturbed. Other translations use the word dismayed or troubled. Well, that's cheery. Thank you, Thomas. We, we appreciate that. So why? Why would somebody who seeks or knocks be disturbed or dismayed or troubled? Well, a little story I'll share, and I've mentioned this before, but it obviously left an impact. Years ago, when we first got into Unity, we visited a Unity church in Asheville, North Carolina. And in the bookstore, there was sold a bumper sticker, and the bumper sticker really caught my eye. And it's, it's a little crass, but I'll tell you what it said anyway. It said, the truth will set you free, but first, it will piss you off. <laughs> okay, yeah, like I said, a little bit crass. And yet, how or why would a discovery of truth prompt that sort of response? or make you troubled, or angry, or dismayed? And could it be that when we find what we are looking for, it isn't exactly what we thought it would be? Or maybe we weren't exactly who we perceived ourselves to be? I mean, consider the adage, and you have all heard it, and you may have even said it. Be careful what you wish for, you just might get it. Well, what's all that about? Good grief. It implies you, there may be something there you didn't quite expect that comes along with whatever it was you were wishing for. I mean, think about the number of coming-of-age stories or end-of-the-innocence stories that are published as books and made into in movies. Each one involves usually a younger person encountering some sort of angst as they grow up and as they develop wisdom. And even when we teach Bible interpretation, there are two experiences that we have to address. One is pre-critical naivete. This is, well, it comes from another bumper sticker that, uh, that said, I, I saw once, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. That's pre-critical naivete. To post critical naivete, meaning we've studied the scriptures and the history and all of that, kind of like we're doing in the Gospel of Thomas story, and yet are still able to embrace and find the capital T truth, regardless of the origin of the stories. We have matured in our ability to interpret. And yet these processes are disturbing and troubling. And it's kind of like a truism in most fields of endeavor as that so much of what happens in the real world, they just can't teach you in school. Anybody in your professions or career find that to be the case? You know, this, this is what we taught us in school, and then I went out in the real world, and it wasn't exactly like that. Yeah, that's for sure. I mentor new ministers into the field, and, and they're often surprised at just how much of their time is devoted to such fun things as fundraising and asbestos remediation and rental contracts and county zoning board meetings, to name a few. And, and more than one has said, uh, uh, this isn't really what motivated me to, uh, to enter the ministry. And I tell them, no, but let's look at every moment as a teachable moment. 
disturbing and troubling. <laughs> or what happens in one's mind, in one's heart, even in one's body when we study our nation's history, past and current, with eyes wide open. Because parts of our nation's history are so troubling that in some circles there's move afoot not to teach it. Most notably, the legacy of slavery and its aftermath, as well as the horrific treatment of indigenous peoples. And what happens to one's mind and one's heart when there is an attempted coup to prevent the tran peaceful transfer of power in our democracy? Troubling and disturbing. Or what about, let's make it more personal, what happens when people consciously engage in their spiritual journey? How many of us have encountered and had to reckon with embedded theologies or perceptions that we acknowledge were and or unfulfilling or even harmful? Or what about the difficulty in, in defining for ourselves what divinity actually means to us? which may lead us to change or abandon some of our long-held beliefs. And in a related fashion, what about that psychological process of coming to know oneself and experience that ultimately, too, is a spiritual journey? This is one reason why the fourth and fifth steps of 12-step recovery programs are often avoided and delayed. <laughs> yeah, some of you know. The fourth step is the taking of the searching and fearless moral inventory. The fifth step is actually sharing it with another human being, all of it. Because who among us wants to acknowledge what I like to call the fullness of our humanity? When to do so might mean experiencing guilt or shame, acknowledging sins of commission or omission, yeah, and tell somebody else, no, thank you. Troubling, disturbing. But, hand me that hat. <laughs> Hold on to your hats because this actually is a good news talk. I'm going to put my hat back on. Because when Thomas says they will, when they are disturbed, they will marvel, it's a really important shift of energy for us. Just as in the coming-of-age stories, which are really the archetypal hero's journey, there comes a moment when a discovery is made, a wonderful discovery, when the hero, the protagonist, you, me, realize something along these lines. Namely, I have inner resources, and I am stronger, wiser, braver than I realize, or when we come to realize I am an individualized expression of the creative magnificence that I call God and I am good, or when you realize there is help available to me and I'm going to take it, or maybe when you realize there is a power and a presence at work in me and in the world for good. And this is the Marvel stage. And you realize, whoa, W-H-O-A, not W-O-E. That's funny. You can laugh. And it's like, wow. And you realize that in the darkest moments, you discover light. 
and empowerment. Ooh, it just feels good. It feels great. It may even make you want to dance. And I'm sure that this sort of discovery, this marvel, is what inspired Gloria Gaynor's song, I Will Survive. Sing along if you know me. Know it. Oh, no, not I. I will survive. Oh, as long as I know how to love, I know I'll stay alive. I've got all my life to live. I've got all my love to give. And I'll survive. I will survive. All right. Like I said, hold on to your hats. It's that kind of a service. I need to talk to Amy. We probably should do a disco inspiration series. But really, that's what that moment is like. You know, we've all have had, if any of you have ever had a moment like that when you realized there is something good in me and in the world, and I'm going to use it. Yes, it's there. And Thomas wraps this saying up with these words, and will reign over all. So does he mean reign over all as a temporal ruler? I don't think so. It seems to me he is echoing a truth taught by wisdom teachers the world over, regardless of their tradition. That the one who awakens to the Christ within or the spirit within will reign over their own reactions, addictions, fears, and cravings, and experience peace of mind and equanimity in spite of the facts of the day. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to hightail it to a mountaintop and sequester themselves away from the problem, namely other people. It means they will remain engaged from a point of compassion and empowerment. It means they'll recognize that when they're triggered and upset, that they will take the steps and use the tools to restore themselves to sanity. It means they will be guided by spirit to use their energy and their resources in the creation of a world of peace, abundance, and respect for all creation. Now, I realize this is a tall order. And I'm pretty certain, based on the number of years I've been in unity, it's not going to happen overnight. But to borrow a phrase, another phrase from the 12-step tradition, this is a program of progress, not perfection. All we have to do is enough for today. We'll take care of tomorrow when we get to tomorrow. It's enough for today. Hmm. So... I'd like to close with yet another inspiration from 12-step tradition. Don't quit before the miracle happens. It may be in the context of today's message. I'll recraft that a little bit to say, don't quit until the marvel happens. Because in this age of infobesity, where everything we own is a source of information, it is easy to feel overwhelmed with the facts of the day. But there's a power and a presence in you and in the world bigger even than the internet. There is a power and a presence in you that will allow you, when you let it, 
to restore yourself to equanimity and peace of mind. To listen to what is yours to do and what is yours not to do. That will lead you to that point of marvel. Which sometimes we have and sometimes we lose sight of and we reconnect with. So don't quit till the marvel happens. Because the marvel always happens. So that's what I invite you to do. Don't quit. Hang on to your hats. Hang on to your bucking bronco, if that's what you're writing today. Let's see. I've made a list. We've covered rodeos, Rodeo Drive, Joan Crawford, Mommy Dearest, The Gospel of Thomas, The Gospel of Luke, The Hidden Spirituality of Disco, The Hero's Journey, and The 12 First Step Program. I guess we're done. Peace be with you. Namaste. Thank you for tuning into Unity of Fairfax podcast. You're welcome to join us live in Oakton, Virginia, every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Or view our live stream services from our website at unityoffairfax.org. We appreciate our donations to support this podcast to make our message of positive, practical spirituality more accessible to all. See you next time.